Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. You don't know in life what to expect and things are set sometimes in place for you not to even know. I didn't know until a year later I had bought a man a plane ticket that I'd never seen in my life, but it was meant for him, not for me. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Vab Jane. Vab is joining us from Dayton, Ohio. He has an extremely interesting background. At one point, he was actually homeless and now has over 200 units. We're going to dive into that. Vab, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you today? Good. How are you? Very well. Thanks for asking. Vab, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit about your background and what you're focused on now? Today's current background or background from 20 years ago? No, man. Give me the whole story. Give you the whole story. So I graduated undergrad in about 1998 from Ohio State. And like a good little Indian kid back then, I was going to medical school. <laughs> I was on my way. and It just didn't jive with me to go spend eight more years doing residency in medical school. So I completely left. And I went and became a stockbroker, honestly. This is in 2000, I'd say. 
And even that was relatively boring because it was just, you'd sit in an office, cold call, try to pick up clients. You know, and there's a lot of money in the stock market, but it wasn't really my passion. So then I was able to finagle my way on the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. This is about 2001. And I ended up basically clerking and trading on the floor back then. It was an incredible time. And everything you hear and see in the movies is real. They're throwing all the papers up and down. They're crazy parties. <laughs> Lots of money. I mean, the guys I was clerking for, they had made like $3 million in just a matter of a summer. It was crazy. At that time, about September of 01, I remember September 11th happened. And at that point, the market started to crash. There were changes coming. I left and I ended up just going back to get my master's. So I went back to grad school at Ohio State and I got my MBA. Incredible experience. I would recommend anybody go do that. Education is just, A, it's important, and B, it's a great learning experience. It's not always about the degree. It's about the people you meet, things of that nature. I'll give you a quick two stories from that. I ended up backpacking through Europe. I would have never thought that I was 26 years old, and a buddy of mine says, hey, I'm going to go to Ireland. I said, that sounds like a pretty damn good idea. I'd like to go to Ireland. <laughs> So I signed up for the exchange program and I spent all six months in England. I mean, it was an incredible experience. I'll give you one more story that I remember from my master's days. There was a doctor and anybody can do their master's, by the way. You don't have to be an accounting background or anything. So there was a doctor sitting next to me in class. He had, I don't know what type of doctor he was. And he used to go run in between classes. I looked at him one day and said, gosh, man, you run in between classes, between one to three, you go run at the gym. Like, who does that? <laughs> right? I said, who would do that? The next year, I was running in between classes. I did two half marathons in a week. And yeah. all just because, yeah, it was, it was an incredible yeah, time. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> even want to walk to my next class in college. I would ride a bike if I could or take the bus, let alone run. So that inspired yeah. you. And then you started running me. half marathons. Uh, yes. So you're saying you're easily yeah. influenced. <laughs> it could help sometimes. So with that said, I graduated, I think, 05, 06, right around there. And at that time, the market had recovered. Everyone was taking jobs. About 98% of my graduating class had a job lined up when they left. Guess who didn't? Right here. I had zero interest. I had applied to Cantor Fitzgerald, all these big name firms out there. I was going to go do the MBA stuff. And it just, I don't know, there's just something that didn't jive with me there either. So I was looking for my own business. Long story short, we got into hotels and I got into one in Columbus. Fast forward, ran that for a couple of years. Things just didn't work out. Just leave it at that. And at the end, I had nothing. This is about 2012 at this point. I left that place and it was me, my dog, and a minivan. So when you say homeless, it's true, but it was like pseudo homeless. I could go stay with friends. I didn't have a home. I didn't have a place to sleep. But yeah, buddies will let you crash. Your parents you could always go to sometime. But I didn't end up doing that. I ended up coming back to Dayton, Ohio, where my parents were at here. And I literally just started from scratch again. Did you wish you had followed the track of all your other MBA colleagues and gotten a job instead of going out on your own? Not at all today. Okay. No, 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 no. Not today. When you left that hotel in your minivan, did you kick yourself and say, damn, I'd only not gone out on my own? And did it occur to you that you should start looking for a job? What was your mindset? 
Great question. No, I never once looked back at not becoming an MBA and doing that work. So that I will answer by saying, never did I still want to go do that kind of work. I'll tell you honestly, something in my life, I didn't care how much money I made. I didn't care if I made $25,000 a year. I just wanted freedom in my life. Freedom to take a Friday off, freedom to not ask my boss, can I go do this? Can I go do this on a Wednesday afternoon? That's all I've ever asked. No amount of money can buy you that. So I didn't care about money. To this day, I can literally live out of my car. It's never an important thing. So what was my mindset? My mindset at that point was just to survive, honestly. What was the driving force for you not wanting to work for somebody? Was it seeing your parents struggle? Was it you having a bad job early on and realizing this sucks? You're obviously very driven with not wanting to work for somebody else. Why is that? Like everybody, we've all done done jobs, whether it be the call center job or the stock market job I told you I did, I just hated always having to work a schedule, a nine to five, or live under somebody else's command at all times. They had the ability to fire you when they wanted. I remember, especially the call center jobs I picked up early, this is college days, of course, 15 minute breaks. I didn't even smoke like you heard, you know, and I wanted to become a smoker with the rest of them so I could just get <laughs> so, so it's a very structured life. And that's not something I wanted. And that's why, again, it didn't matter if I made 25 grand or not in a whole year. I just didn't want a structured life. I wanted the ability to go lay on the campground sites and see the stars if I wanted without somebody saying, hey, you need to get back to work. Yeah. All right, man. So here we are. You lost everything. You're out of the hotel business. Were you also in debt or was it just back to zero? Yeah. So I had lost everything. The bank had taken over. I had no credit. And I couldn't even buy a cheeseburger on credit at this point. I couldn't get a loan. I didn't have much money. So the deal I had kind of made was, all right, my parents said, if you can help pay the mortgage at the hotel, you can stay there. And if you can make a couple thousand bucks a month, you can keep it. I was like, okay. It's a couple thousand bucks. I, I can live off that. It's okay. You know? So I remember walking around the place in June or July going, we're not going to make it. This place is hurting did some things, turned it around. And by the end of the year, it was still finally profitable enough. Where I remember borrowing money from my cousins just to make payroll and then paying them back two weeks later. Every single month I was doing this just to keep afloat. And right? this was a hotel that your parents owned at the time? Yes. So this is different than the one that was taken away? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you, It was you just a bad in... market in 2012. Got it. Okay. So you went into turning your parents' hotel around? And that was the catalyst for you getting back on your feet. That was literally the catalyst. So by March of 2014, one of the maintenance guys said to me, why don't you buy an apartment building or something? I said, I know nothing about an apartment building. I've never even used a hammer and a nail, honestly, in my life. I have, but you know what I mean? I could barely do anything. I can't do it. It's just no different than what we're doing now. You know, we can fix anything. So I said, okay. Somebody came to me and said, hey, there's this guy selling 10 or 12 units. And I said, okay. I looked at him. I said, don't rip me off. And I didn't know anything. So I don't know how you could rip me off. I really don't even know what the value of something, right? I said, what do you want for this duplex? The guy goes, I want 25000 2013 or 2014 at this point, right? I said, okay. He said, I got a four family, 36000 I said, oh, wow. Okay. I did the numbers. Yeah, you're an MBA this time, man. You, you should know. be able to do some rough numbers. <laughs> I did the numbers. and. It made sense. Of course, like a true Indian, I tried to negotiate it all down. 
and $36,000 for a four unit, especially back that was still really, really cheap. I didn't have 36,000, just so you know. So I had to go borrow money. My assumption is it needed a ton of rehab as well. Actually, in this particular case, not much because he was an older man. He was 90 years old. He was trying to get out of the business. It was more in the harder parts of Dayton, let's say. So he was just trying to get out. So I picked this thing up. Again, I borrowed from friends, family, everybody, and I was able to buy this thing. It didn't make a lot of money, but I still had to pay everybody back over time. But it made 500000 bucks extra a month. From March to June in that time period, I had also been talking to a broker about a property that listed on the MLS. And this particular property was a bank-owned property, and it was 16 units. And the bank wanted forty grand. Now, I didn't have forty grand. Wait, you didn't have thirty six. How did you buy the I first one? I borrowed from friends and family. I okay. had a couple thousand, maybe up to four or five grand. I had saved up at this point. And was know? it a cash deal or was it financed? It was a cash deal. Yeah, because your credit sucked. Yeah, I have no credit. Banks generally weren't loaning out in those areas a lot of times. Either. Okay, got it. So, so now, now you're presented with a sixteen unit for how much? Forty grand. Okay, now, this needed work. Eight units were down to the studs. There were some people living there. I called the broker. It was a receivership property. He wasn't all that about selling it. No big deal. I didn't think twice about it, nor do I know anything about this business again. No big deal. So one day out of the blue, in like mid-June, he calls me. I'm going, Pat, you want that property? I said, I would love that property, but I don't have $40,000. I've got $4,000 saved up at this point. And I said, I tell you what, I'll do. If you can ask the bank, because the $40,000 comprised of $35,000 of back taxes and $5,000 in fees for the property management company and broker. Remind me to go back to that broker here in a little bit. What happened next was I said, can you ask the bank if they're willing to take 35 is what I first initially said. He went to the bank. The bank said, no, we owe 35000 in property taxes. So I can't do that. I said, okay, will you ask them if I take over the property taxes? and give you the five grand that I've saved up at most, will that get the deal done? He went back to the bank and the bank said, yes, we'll take that. So then I had to go make a deal with the county. I think it was 200 bucks per building, 400 bucks a month to pay the county property tax off. It's like a two or three year plan. And I gave them all the money I had. So that was one of my first biggest deals I had done. This is June of 2014. Is that intuition or was that learned in your MBA program? on getting creative with deals? That was a part of both, honestly. Intuition for sure, because I've seen my father make deals throughout his whole life. It's also something they would teach you probably in your master's program. I would say a combination of both. Yeah, and best ever listeners, I want to clarify some of Vab's references about our culture. We're both Indian. And when he mentioned, I went to med school like a good little Indian I did the same thing, man. I majored in IT because my parents essentially made me. I had a career for 15 years that I did not enjoy. It was what we were supposed to do. So same thing with you. You were supposed to go to med school. You were smart and uh, (laughs) opted out of that life early on. Good for you. And then just first generation immigrants coming from Asia in their countries, they negotiate fiercely for everything. So that's ingrained in the culture. So just want to clarify that. Yeah, no, thank you. Even I love that you're pointing these out. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to no, no, yeah, thank yes. you. Even to down to the food, they negotiate, like you said, 
it's just ingrained in our culture. They negotiate to the food vendors. Yeah. It's a cultural thing. You're right. To the point where they'll negotiate and then tip as if they never negotiated. It's just yeah. the art <laughs> of the deal, so to speak, right? So this $40,000, 16-unit property you acquired for just over $6,000, where did the rehab money come from? Great question. So whatever little bit of money I was making, remember I had a four-unit now, plus I had this. And this is interesting you asked about the rehab money. There wasn't a lot of money needed. It was a lot of labor needed. It wasn't faucets and, and, and lumber as much as, hey, someone's got to go out and actually do the work. I used all the hotel's maintenance, and I just kind of <laughs> sent them out to do that. I love it. <laughs> so that's how I was able to get that place up and going. And that's on your parents' payroll. Yeah, I was on the hotel's payroll. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, getting creative. You know, how long did the rehab process take? So I didn't start immediately rehabbing again. I didn't have a lot of money. So we rehabbed for about a good year, year and a half, I'd say. We just kind of ran it. And as money came in, we'd redo a unit. By 2016, I would tell you, within less than two years, I had sold that building. I sold that building for a quarter million dollars. Now you got to be hooked. Yeah. I'll you never rinse forget. and repeat, right? Yes. I sat there. The day I sold it, I said, wow, a quarter million dollars in my bank account just sitting here. Isn't this crazy or what? Remember, there's no bank mortgages, so all that money did come my way. But then you're right. When you say rinse and repeat, the next thing after the 15 minutes of joy that I gathered from that was what am I going to do with this money? And go back to the original point. I have no use of this thing, right, this money, other than helping and enriching others' lives, children, uh, things of that nature, right? And I said, what am I going to do with this money? So I rinsed and repeated, like you said. I went out and bought a lot more property. At that time, the market was still relatively low, and you could still find deals at ten, twelve, fifteen thousand a door. So I just kept buying more units. I don't Did remember. Your credit get straightened out, or how are you buying these units? With that quarter million dollars is how I started buying those units. I went back to the the old man that I had bought the first set of four units from. He was ninety two at this point. And he sold me his last 10. Now, again, I did not have $100,000. He had 10 units and $10,000 a piece, $100,000. I came up with 33000 for him. And I might have even had the money, but I made him a deal where he would take the next 66000 over a payment plan. So I had bought 10 units there, and we just started acquiring a lot of units. I don't even know how to describe it. It just started buying. It was the Wild West for a few years back then. It it was the Wild West. I remember passing on deals this is that funny, at $7,000 a unit telling the lady, that's just too much money you're asking for. <laughs> Today, those same buildings are worth $500,000, right? Yeah. So, Vab, at some point, did you build out a team or was it always you? So, in the last two, three years, I've only been doing this seven, eight years. We did build out a team. I have three or four guys. I have a property manager now. We did build out a team at some point. He came on in 2019, my property manager did. And that's because I was acquiring another 70 units at that point. And there's no way I could handle 140 units, I felt, at that point by myself. So I did uh, acquire a property manager. He's a good friend of mine, actually. You told me to remind you about the broker. Oh, yeah. Come back to the broker. What was that? So 2014, I bought that building. He called me up after that and told me he never got paid because there just wasn't enough money in that deal. So throughout the years, I kept thinking to myself, I got to get back to that guy. You know, I got to catch up with him. Years have gone by in the last seven, eight years. I've been thinking, 
I got to get a hold of him. Finally, this year, about three months ago, I was driving by somewhere and I see his billboard. He's selling something else for some company. I take my phone, I get his number, and I immediately call the guy. He didn't pick up. I left a message. I said, hey, Joe, I haven't seen you in eight years. I hope you remember me. I'd love to meet you at some point. I'd love to just catch up. He doesn't know what I was going to do for him. But he called me back. We set up a lunch. And I handed him an envelope. <laughs> we'll just leave just it at that. It. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> what was his reaction? Beyond thankful. Beyond thankful yeah. You know? And I said, without you, I wouldn't be where I'm at without you putting that deal together. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find a recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the U.S.? Self-storage is that asset class, and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project-level IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund 4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliance Experience Team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Invest investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Vab, for somebody that doesn't have a lot of use for money, self-proclaimed, what are you doing with 200 plus units? We're about 200. I've sold 110 this year already. So we're still down about 190, 200 right now. And by the way, I say we, but it's just me, but I, you get that, I assume. You know, just in the corporate the world, man, that's all we said was we. We, okay. Yep, I get that. Uh, so everyone's got a different philosophy of life. Some people want to hit this thing hard and hit it hard till their dying day. I'm honestly not on that boat, as I've stated the whole time. I really don't have a lot of use of this. I am trying to liquidate mostly everything we have. I and mean, we started this process this year. And like I said, I've liquidated about 110 I hope to have everything liquidated in the next six to nine months, let's say. All right. So best ever listeners, if you want to buy something and try to negotiate with Vab, hit him up. Vab, listen, a lot of people are going to say he got lucky with timing. What are your thoughts on that? And if you had to start all over today, let's say that hotel collapse happened today while the markets are a little bit more shaky, what would you do? So two-part question, what do you say to the people you just got lucky, good timing. And then what would you do today to start all over? Okay. So first question, 
did I get somewhat lucky? Absolutely. We all did a little bit. The difference is there's so many people who also got lucky, but they got stuck at 20 and 30 units and 40 or 50 at most. And the key difference was they didn't take advantage of the opportunities presented. We all got lucky in that market. There's thousands of us, millions of us that got lucky in that market. But to have made it in that market, they had to go further than just the luck because they all got appreciation of real estate. But why did they stop at 20 units or 30 units? It was me taking opportunity is what I would say. As opportunity presented itself, I wasn't scared to go take the next one. The one thing I will say about that is you have to adapt to change. So as this market has evolved, I've had to evolve the entire time also. From buying units of five and 10,000 to 20 and 30, same buildings now valued three to five to 10 times more. You have to adapt to change. Your second question, what would you do today? I would start from scratch again. A couple of things I would say to somebody was, A, get your first deal under your belt. It feels good just to have a deal under your belt. You know you can do it then. How would I do it? Well, there's a lot of knowledge that goes into that. So I would use existing knowledge or I would go out and gain the knowledge. And I would use my resources. That's the other big thing. Knowledge and resources. Now, at least I know who to call, let's say, right? Again, I'd go to 20 people and go, hey, how did you get started? I still do this to this day. Hey, do you have a good plumber, let's say? You know, my plumber's out here. Do you have a good plumber? You just ask. A lot of resources. Networking. That's what I would tell you to do. You Networking know? and knowledge followed by execution. Followed by execution. Out of curiosity, when's the last time you bought any units? Last month. Okay. <laughs> well, listen. So now let's talk about that contradiction. Are you a deal junkie where when you see a deal, you've got to chase it? So you've got this competing mindset where you want to liquidate everything and sail off into the sunset. Is that really going to happen? It might not completely happen, but I'd like to reduce down to a number that's more comfortable that I can go sail off into the world if I felt like it. It's hard to pass up a deal where you see a huge amount of possibility. And that's part of the reason I bought this last deal. I'll probably take six months. I'll fix it up. I'll go resell it. How are you finding deals today? They're still on the MLS. So I know a lot of people don't like to believe that, but they're still on the MLS. There are wholesalers. There are numerous avenues. You can cold call if you wanted. You can have off-market deals. People bring them all the time. They're on these websites on Facebook and all these people are all part of these off-market deals. I'm sure you do too. And everybody does. They get a text a day from all these wholesalers trying to sell you stuff. And then again, I a lot of times still buy off the MLS. This last month deal that I bought, it was a 25 unit. I bought it off the MLS. Yeah. Best ever listeners. I don't want to hear anything about not being able to find deals. I can't tell you how many people I interview that find deals on the MLS. You got to put the time in. You can't just open it up and oh, look, here's a deal. You've got to consistently get on there and look for deals. So another devil's advocate question, Vab, is why haven't you scaled up instead of buying 5, 10, 20, 30 unit properties, why haven't you bought 200 unit properties? I guess that's a good question. Again, I want out. I don't want 200 <laughs> unit properties. How about when you were scaling up? I'm not going to let you skate out of that question. So granted, <laughs> you did scale, but why didn't you go bigger? And do you wish that you had back in the day when things were on the upswing? If you Absolutely. could give your younger self you would, advice, would you tell your younger self, hey, stop with these 16, 20 units, go big, 100, 200 units? With that said, 
A, I don't remember a lot of opportunities being presented at 100, 200 units. Let me say that. I think someone told me last week or a couple of weeks ago that in the Cincinnati market alone, only five deals last year were transacted over 100 units. So there were not that many of those, nor was I that large and had the ability to, to go to a bank till about 2019 to go buy these larger units. Remember, I had lost everything. I had no credit. My first bank deal was 2019, seven years after I had lost everything, pretty much what it takes to repair your credit. By that time, everything had fallen off and I was able to go to a bank and ask for money. So for what resources I had, I just worked within the resources I had, whether it be a maintenance guy at the hotel or asking the broker, can you go to the bank and ask him this? I, I worked within the realm of what I had in life. You know? Yeah, that was going to be a follow-up question is for all of those years that your credit wasn't repaired, were all of these deals just creative financing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of times it was just the owners themselves. As I told you that, I gave the man $33,000. I could have probably gave him all 100 but I didn't want to lose the little bit of cash that I did have at this point. It was 2016. I didn't have a lot of cash. I didn't know what else was going to come my way. Vab, what's your advice to somebody today? Again, with the markets being a little bit shaky, rates going up, it's early October 2022 that we're recording this. Somebody that is slowly ramping up with number of units, what's your advice on going bigger today? A couple things I would say. It's the same thing I said to myself and I say to others still to this day is buy low, buy right. Meaning a lot of times people look for cash flow. Give me that 7 8%. I never looked for cash flow at one point. I just looked for a possible large equity favorability down the line. So I guess, let's say I bought it for 20. I know that one day after I do all the work, it's going to be worth 120, let's say. I always look to buy low and buy right. So that if unforeseen circumstances did come my way, whether it be a bathroom just fell apart, all the plumbing went bad in a house, let's say, and it costs an extra 20 grand, it won't make a difference because you bought right. So whatever you buy, buy right. Don't buy something where the margins are thin and if everything goes right, then I'll make X amount of dollars or something. Yeah, I'm sure you're connected with the current state of investors, operators, landlords today, and there's some razor thin margins out there. Yeah. What are your thoughts on when the dust settles, what's going to happen? If these places aren't operated to ideal and optimal levels, they'll go under, unfortunately, because the, the banks come after their money, as you know. And if you can't make bank notes, they will go under. I would hope that would not be the case. With interest rates going up, that will slow down, of course, people going out and just buying anything and everything. Back to the last question still, though. Another piece of advice I'd give somebody is adapt to change. I know I touched on it earlier. The big thing was six years ago, units were ten and fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. Today, those same units are forty and fifty. Don't think along the lines that I didn't change. I went from five to 10 to in 2019, buying them at 2025. Today, those same units, I'm going out and purchasing 30, 35. My margins have grown a little bit, but my buying power has also grown a little bit. I would say adapt, always adapt to the waves of the market. And you're still not buying deals that require flawless execution. You've got enough oh, no. margin in your deals so if a roof didn't get caught, it needed to be replaced, not a big deal. Not a big deal, right. Yeah. So right. important, man. People that are trying to just keep the deal flow going and buying properties just to deploy other people's capital, 
That's a tough one, man. I don't want to see people do that, right? Your deals, I've seen people do that, yeah. Yeah, we all have. The deals have to stand on their own, and you've got to stress test your deals. Mm-hmm. Rates going up, you not being able to sell at the same cap rate. Matter of fact, it's 100 points higher than what your entrance cap rate was or 200 points higher. Deals have to be stress tested. That man, you've been through a lot in this career of yours. What is just the one hardest lesson that you learned? And what advice would you give everybody based on that lesson? It's a tough question. Take your time, man. We can pause. How about if you're giving your kids advice? I know you don't have kids, but you're giving a young kid advice on just overall business or life. And I want it to come from a place where you learned a very hard lesson that you don't want them to repeat. It's not as much of a business lesson as it was a personal lesson. I will tell you that. When I had lost everything, I guess I'll share this, you know, the person I was with, I could have bet you a million bucks. I didn't have a million bucks, but I could have bet you a million bucks that this person would never leave. And that at least we would be together. And whatever I did and then lost, I still would have had somebody with me. That person ended up leaving. This is the biggest, hardest lesson I have personally taken. I had lost everything at that point just to help people and help this person. And it just didn't work out. I'll give you one more story behind that. It's a story that I generally don't share very often. But since you asked, I was so in love with this person that I said, I'd like to come see you, this and that. I thought we're still going to make it. And I bought a plane ticket. She would always just say, oh, you know, I'm busy. I can't come this weekend. I had moved across the state. I had lost everything at this point, right? But still, there was that love there. I moved to another state. I bought a plane ticket. And this plane ticket allowed me to go anywhere in the country, round trip, within a year's time from Southwest for one set price that I paid for. And I kept waiting, 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 and nothing came up. I won't take a lot from this, but I, oh, let me take share as much this. time as you want. So at the hotel, a gentleman came to me in the summer and says, hey, uh, I need to stay a couple nights. I got in a domestic with my wife, this and that. I said, okay, no problem. I gave him a room, whatnot. They paid for it. I caught him outside the first couple of nights he was there. I said, well, what's going on? And said, we just didn't see eye to eye. Things happened. I run the dog shelter in town. It's a really commendable thing to do. And we had a nice, jovial conversation. He says, I've been homeless. I know how it is. What would you do, Vab, if you were homeless? And I remember having this exact basic conversation with him six years ago. I don't know. I'd, hopefully, I have my network. I'd go to my network, you know, and I remember saying to him that. Long story short, he stayed about four or five nights in the hotel. And he comes to me. So I got court in the morning. I said, okay. Comes the next morning from court. I said, what did the judge say? So the judge says to me, I will drop all your charges, but you got to do me a favor. And I'll only do it under this condition if you can prove to me that you're going to leave. You're going to leave my city and you're going to go home. I said, okay, all right, you're going to go home. Where's home? Portland, Oregon. It hit me at that point. I didn't buy that plane ticket for myself. I walked over to my desk, grabbed that plane ticket. I had 48 hours left on that plane ticket. Otherwise, it expired. I said to the man, I said, I bought this for you. I didn't know I bought it for you. 
But he knew I bought it for you, and it was supposed to be delivered to you right now. I didn't know it was going to be delivered to you. I didn't know what I was going to do with this thing. It was going to expire sitting on my desk. But it was meant to go to Portland. That's where I was at. But it wasn't meant for me. It was meant for that man. So you don't know in life what to expect. And things are set sometimes in place for you not to even know. I didn't know until a year later. I had bought a man a plane ticket that I'd never seen in my life. But it was meant for him, not for me. Yeah, what a story, man. Vab, let's do the best ever lightning round. Are you ready? Sure. <laughs> That's a no. Okay, we're going to do it anyway. Vab, what's the best ever book you recently read? I don't know about recently. The best ever book that I have read, and I recommend this to everybody, is Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small stuff. It's a small book. I tell everybody about it. I usually keep 10 or 20 copies. It's not that small, and I hand it out to people, and it basically tells everybody, Everything 100 years from now is not going to matter. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff. Yeah, listen, my wife bought that for me. I'm an impatient guy from Jersey, and I think I've read it a few times. I don't know if it worked <laughs> for me, man. <laughs> all right, Vab, hey, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I'll tell you what I do. I started this about three or four years ago, my birthday. Again, I don't like to share a lot of this. I don't like to sound a certain way. So I get up in the mornings on my birthday. And I don't make it a day of celebration. I, I make it a day of gratitude and giving. So I generally will buy 100, 150 pizzas for the home shelter. And I go to the soup kitchen and I deliver pizzas and then, you know, hand out. And, and then we, me and my dog go to animal shelters. We'll give out donations there. We'll go to the food pantry that day. And we'll just spend the whole day just giving morning to night. It's not a day of me drinking or getting drunk and that kind of stuff. It's a day of gratitude in my life. It's a day of reflection. Vab, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? <laughs> I guess Facebook. I don't really have any other profile. I don't have a LinkedIn or anything like that. All right. Well, hold on. The news is out that you're liquidating. So is that where they hit you up on Facebook? Vab Jane, sure. yeah. Dayton, Ohio, Facebook? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. You might start getting blown up. <laughs> All right. Hey, brother, listen, thank you for your time today, man. We went over on time, but that was great. You gave us some incredible inspiring stories a lot of hard lessons learned lessons with your own success and failures and what you would do today in this market if you had to start all over it's been an absolute pleasure getting this out there today man thanks for your time thanks Ash. best ever listeners thank you so much for joining us if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a five-star review share this episode with someone you think can benefit from it also follow subscribe and have a best ever day.